Good morning. How you guys doing? Man, it's so great to be with you guys today. We're in the middle of a series entitled Brand where we've been talking about what does it really mean to be a Christian? I mean, what does that word mean anyway? If you think about it, if you ask 100 different people, you're going to get 100 different responses. And uh, we've been looking over this series that really, the Bible never does define the word Christian. In fact, the word Christian is only used three times out of the entire book of the Bible, of the 66 books. Um, One of the things that we looked at is that the word Christian was used from outsiders, people who did not know God or follow Jesus or anything like that. It was used by outsiders kind of as a derogatory term. So uh, the word Christian, though it's never defined, God never called anybody to be a Christian. Jesus never said, come and be a Christian. Jesus said something a little bit different. In fact, a lot more scary. He said, I want you to be my disciple. And the word disciple is used over and over hundreds of times. In fact, Jesus used the word disciple 233 times in the New Testament. And what's so scary about that word is 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 it's so well defined. Jesus talks a lot about that. In fact, the premise of this entire series is we found, and we looked at this the first week, in John chapter 13, verse 35. It says this, it's on the screen. By this, everyone will know that you are Christians. Is that what it says? You are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Not simply what you believe, but belief has to go to action. And this is kind of what we've talked about in this entire series, is in the 21st century mindset of Christianity, in order to be a Christian, you have to believe something. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you believe, you will have eternal life. So Christianity is about believing something, but the Bible says, yes, you can believe something, but your belief must turn to action. You must do something, and that's what it means to be a disciple. Now, again, what's so cool about this is, and really where I want to push back and really want to dig down deep, is for some of you in here, you're kind of new to Christianity, you're new to the whole church thing. Maybe you went to college and you heard, um, maybe a professor say, you know, the whole Christianity thing is just kind of, uh, you kind of have to take your brain out and put it in a bucket, because in order to be able to believe all this stuff, you really just have to put your brain and thoughts on autopilot. And I want to talk to you today that I totally disagree with that. I believe that you can totally think through this scientifically and all this stuff. But the thing I really want to look at, to have you dig in today, if, if this started with a guy by the name of Jesus, and then it went to 12 guys, his disciples, fast forward 2,000 years later, and there are millions, billions of Christians in the world. How did that happen? How did that happen, really? How did it start from just one guy moving to 12 guys, moving to billions in just a fairly short amount of time? Because, you know, by the way, how many of y'all, you've been looking at Rome a lot this week? You've been kind of following the whole, uh, the Catholic Church trying to find the Pope? Anybody? I I have, all right? You know, you were trying to like, is it going to be white smoke? It's going to be black smoke, right? We were all kind of looking that way. Here's what I want us to do. If you went to Rome today, let me tell you what you would see. 
You could look over the skyscrapers and look over the buildings of Rome, and here's what you would see. You would see on top of all of these buildings, you would see crosses. You would see hundreds and hundreds of crosses on top of buildings, on top of street signs. You would go to Rome today, and there would be crosses everywhere. Now, here's what's so cool about this. If we were to time travel back 2,000 years ago into 64-65 A.D., when Nero has just laid fire to the city of Rome and has blamed Christians... And now Christians are being hunted, they're being persecuted, they're being killed. In fact, the Christians are leaving Rome in droves because they are being hunted down. I mean, they're being, putting, being placed in coliseums and lions are eating them. If we could go 2,000 years ago to a little farm outside of Rome... We could go uh, into a barn just on the outskirts of that farm and we would see three Christian families huddled together. And we would sit down to them and we would be able to hear the horror stories of how Nero and how the emperors have just come and have tried to totally destroy this small little band called Christians. People labeled from the outside. If we were to sit down to them and we would say, you know what? Imagine. I know it's hard to imagine now, but a a day's going to be coming when the Roman Empire is no more. In fact, the emperors, Caesar and Nero, no more. That power structure is gone, and in its place, in Rome, you're going to see crosses littered all over the buildings, Crosses all over, crosses on top of buildings, crosses everywhere, and that the Rome that you know today, nobody's going to be worshiping Zeus. Nobody is going to be worshiping Hermes. And in this Colosseum, where your own brothers and sisters have died, where the lions have feasted on the carcasses of Christians, that one day a cross will be standing in the Colosseum of Rome. Can you imagine it? And these three families huddled in fear going, there's no way. There's no way. Because Christianity, we love Jesus, but it's just a small little sect of us. There's only maybe just a few dozen of us. And Rome is forever. And everybody worships Zeus and Hermes and Apollo and Athena. But if we were to sit down and we say, one day, the cross... Crosses will be littered everywhere, and that cross won't be representative of a crucifixion so much. It won't be representative of how they kill people. It will be representative of how one Jewish carpenter named Jesus, whom you call your Savior, everybody will be looking to this this town 2,000 years ago in March and saying, who's going to be the next leader? They would not believe that. Let me tell you how the West was won, how Rome was conquered. It wasn't. Let me tell you how this didn't happen. This didn't happen because the Christians decided to say, you know what, I just want to be a Christian. This didn't happen. Rome was not turned on its head and embraced Christianity because the the religious right got back the house in the Senate. This didn't happen when the Christians puffed up and said, you know what, you're wrong, I'm right. That's not how this happened. Today, we're going to be looking at, and I'm so glad if you're not a Christian here today, because if you're kind of like, I don't know, I'm wrestling with this, you're going to see how all of this came to be. 
and a lot of it's in the Bible, but we're going to even push back and pull back farther, and we're going to see just, just history. If you don't be, believe the Bible, that's okay. Look at just history, because you can't argue with it. Rome isn't around anymore. The church, Jesus' movement, is going strong. How did that happen? Today, we're going to be looking at how it all began. Today, we're going to be looking at the talk that Jesus gave that spun all of this out. Today, this is going to be so cool. We're going to be looking at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus, he is going to do basically his first and biggest and greatest sermon. And he's going to start the whole movement. Let's today, let's you and I, let's look at this revolutionary speech that changed everything. Today, we're going to see how everything started, and this is how it begins. In Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says this. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. That's why we call this the Sermon on the Mount, because it is on a mountainside. Thanks for coming to One Church. His disciples, that's what he called his followers, not Christians, His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. All right, this is cool. I am going to give you the revolutionary, world-changing, shut down the Roman Empire. Do you want to hear his speech? Here's how it goes. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There you go. And it even gets stronger. Let's keep on reading. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Really? I mean, you, you got any more, Jesus? Yeah, I do. God blesses those who are, what does it say? Humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Jesus, uh, can I stop you right here? Um, got a quick question. Humility, really? Um, are you from around here? Do you even know what in the world is going on at this time? Do you know anything about Rome? Do you know that we haven't had our freedom, that we have been ruled over by these tyrants called Caesars? Do you know where humility has gotten us and meekness has gotten us? What else you got? Humility, really? I mean, blessed are the humble because they're going to inherit the earth? No, we, we can't even inherit a whole land. Come on. God blesses those, he keeps on going. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Satisfied? How am I going to be satisfied? I don't have enough money to buy some bread. And I'm going to be satisfied? He keeps on going. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay, I got a quick question. Peacemakers, do you really think we're going to be able to retake our land and overthrow the Roman Empire by peacemakers? Seriously. I mean, what has peacemaking got us? Us peacemaking to Rome is where they break us up into little pieces. I mean, peacemakers? Matthew, are you writing this down? Matthew's like, I don't know if this is even worth writing down. Peacemakers, really? And it, it, keeps, it keeps on going. Keep on going. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Uh, Not happy. Be happy about it. Be very glad. Not very glad. But look at this. For reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And I'm sure the crowds are reacting about like you guys are reacting right now. Really? Why don't you do one of those miracles? Why don't you feed some people? Because this whole, your new speech is not quite working out. I, I, I don't know if I, I, what do we sign up for, really? I mean, I mean, what you're saying, Jesus, is you want us to be poor, sad, humble, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, and insulted people, and we're going to be awaiting a award in heaven? Sounds fun. Sign me up. Really, this is it? This is the speech that he is trying to get everything changed. Poor, persecuted, merciful, humble, people who mock you, spit upon you. That's, that's it. To which, and everybody's saying, this is how it's going to change everything and Jesus I think he's chuckling because he knows something that they don't know Jesus is God and he knows in 300 years which is a very short time in in history 300 years crosses are going to be everywhere all over Rome symbolizing Jesus Jesus and it all happened right here it all happened Right here. He goes on. He gives us two word pictures. And some of you, you had some great, uh, you texted me some really good questions last week because some of your questions is this. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying, Chris. We're not supposed to judge outsiders. We're supposed to judge insiders. But how are people on the outside going to know, you know, how, how do we let them know the standard? You know, how, how, are, how are we going to interact with them? Jesus answers that question right here in, in two word pictures. This is what Jesus says. First, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now, everybody in Jesus' audience knew what salt was. Salt is a preservative. Salt was a preservative. How many of y'all grew up in the South? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of y'all ever had country ham? Yes, Lord. All right. Now, let me tell you what country ham is. Country ham tastes like what? Salt. Now, the reason why, like back in the 1800s, they didn't have Frigidaire. They didn't have GE and Kenmore. What they would do is they would take meat and they would put salt all over it. Why? Because salt, here's what salt is. Salt was a substance added to food to prevent decomposition. That's what salt was. And back in Jesus' day, they would do the same thing. Salt was a substance It was a preservative that was added to food so that it would not decompose. Where there is no preservative, things decompose. Where there is no preservative, things rot. When there is no preservative, things start to stink. Salt is a substance added to food to prevent decomposition. You're like, okay, what's the point? Here's the point. He says, you are the salt of the entire earth. You are the preservative. If you don't preserve the earth, the earth rots. If you don't preserve 
culture starts to stink. If you don't preserve, things will go bad in a negative way. Quick, Jack. A little bit of sigh coming out. I apologize. Imagine the world he was speaking into. He is speaking into a world where might makes right. He was speaking into a world that if you want to know what the right thing to do, the right thing to do was you answered weakness with power. He was speaking into a world where what was right was whoever had the biggest army, had the longest sword, moral issues weren't moral issues. Ethical issues weren't ethical issues. I mean, compassion, love, mercy, they weren't virtues. They were seen as weaknesses. That was the culture Jesus is speaking into. Women had no rights. Children had fewer rights. I mean, the culture, I mean, we can't imagine this as Americans because we have been taught this Judeo-Christian value, even if you've never been to church. We have this idea in our head that, you know what, children are precious in his sight and in our sight as well. We have this idea that women and men should be treated the same and should get the same wages. Yeah, there was a time in our country when that wasn't the case, but our national conscience and morality finally caught up with what all of us knew to be true, that men and women are equal. Let me give you another one. We knew in our national conscience that slavery was wrong, that it was wrong to own another person. And yeah, there was a time in our country that that was the case, but eventually it got changed because we knew it was wrong. How do we know that? Let me tell you, we didn't know that because it's just common human nature that people know stuff like that. It's not. Let me tell you, common human decency isn't that common. It's not just human nature that we all know that we value one another. No, no, no. We were taught This country was founded on this Judeo-Christian beliefs that everybody we looked into in each other's eyes, that everybody had value. No matter if you were red, yellow, black, or white, they are all precious in his sight. And that just didn't come naturally. How many of y'all have heard of Coney 2012? All of us, right? I mean, how can in third world countries people not really respect children and not think that children should be valued? Let me tell you, it's, it's not common. It, we, we value children because we've been brought up that way. But people in other cultures, they didn't have these values. Our values came from this right here. It came from Jesus infecting his disciples and the disciples infecting the world and the world changing because of it. And it starts right here. Why do we think that generous people are, that's a good thing being generous and it's not just a weak thing? How do we think that compassion is not a sign of weakness, but today we value it as a strength, that mercy, that we are to be merciful. I mean, that's something that we're, it's just kind of, everybody knows, right? And we don't. We know here. But people in other cultures, they don't have our same values. It's not human nature. It's not common human decency. It's the reflection of a worldview that says that there is one single God, and all of us are going to have to bring an account to that God. And Jesus looks at his crowd he's talking to, and he says this, Look, you have no standing in this world, but you are the last stand. You have no financial standing. You have no political standing. You don't have a grip. You don't have the power. But I, you know what? If you don't take this last stand, this world will rot. 
You are the salt of the earth. And if you don't preserve, the earth rots. Culture stinks. This is huge. This is huge. Man. So Jesus gathered with his disciples. He says, I want you to love. I want you to be the salt of the earth. But he didn't stop there. He says, yes, I want you to to preserve this earth, this culture. But then he gives another word picture. He says this, you are the light of the world. To which many of you say, okay, Chris, I don't want to be a light. I just want to be a Christian. I prayed a magic prayer, and I prayed this prayer, and now I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Let me go and eat at the Cracker Barrel. If you could just be quiet so we can get us out there before the Methodist, right? I mean, that, that's our mindset. I don't want to be a light. I don't want to be saw. I just want to be a Christian. And Jesus would say, dude, where have you heard that? It starts with belief, but belief always goes to action. Always. If you say you're believing, but it's not led you to action, then you probably don't have real belief. That's huge. You are the light of the world. I'm going to keep on reading. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And again, if you've ever been to that part of the world, I wanted to show you some pictures I took when I was in Israel, and I totally forgot them. But I remember being at the Sea of Galilee and looking across the sea to Tiberias. And these cities in that time, they were all made of limestone, this white rock. And when the, um, when the sun actually went down, it would hit these cities and reflect them, and you could be able to see them for miles around. Just as a city on a hill, just as a town on a hill cannot be hidden, that's what you and I are. We are like a strategically placed city. You are like a strategically placed city. It cannot be hidden. And some of you are like, okay, Chris, I'm not strategically placed anywhere. Okay, here's what you need to know about me. It's not been strategically placed. I was at Fort Bragg, and the Army moved me, PCS me, to Fort Campbell. I don't like this town. I don't like any of these people. I want to go back to Fort Bragg. Some of you, and, it, you're, and you're like, it has nothing to do with God. And God would say, no, you are strategically placed. You are here for a reason. Others of you are like, okay, I used to be in Nashville, and then I moved to Clarksville because I was dating this guy, and he dumped me, and now I'm in, still in Clarksville, and I don't like this dumpy town, and I want to go back where they got some good restaurants and some better men. So you want to go back to Nashville, but here's what you don't know. God has you here at Clarksville for a purpose. You are strategically placed. Others of you, you're like, okay, I had this great idea. I want to work at Hemlock. (laughs) Sounded like a good deal at the time. There's one problem. I've been laid off. And you're like, I'm not strategically placed. And God would say, no, you are. I have placed you here so that you can preserve and that you can shine the way. Look at what it says in verses 15 and 16. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Just leave that way. Here's what you don't do. You don't go into a dark room, flip on a lamp, and then take that lamp and put it in a closet and close the closet door. You don't do that. Why? Because you flip on a lamp in order to do what? See, right? Because that's what lamps do. And it says this, in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others, dot, dot, dot. Now, let me tell you how we translate this 
as Christians. Let your light shine before others so that they will see your church attendance and say, he's just such a good Christian. Is that what it's going to say? The answer is negative. So what it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. You're what? Good deeds. See, let's see here. It starts with belief, but belief always goes to something. It always goes to action. So that they will see your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will play, praise your heavenly father. That's huge. This is so powerful. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying this. I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see your good deeds, they don't go, oh, man, he's just such a nice guy. Man, isn't he nice? No, 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 no. They, they look at your good deeds, and they say, dude, who is that generous? I mean, are you kidding me? Who is that nice? I mean, how is that even possible? They just give, and they give, and you know what? They, I got sick, and I was in the hospital, and they kept on bringing us food. I didn't even know who these people are, but they kept on bringing us food. I was just like, who are this? I mean, who are these kooks? Right? I mean, who does this? Is the food laced with something? Right? I mean, who is this nice? Or you know what? They just show up and they showed up in our, in our neighborhood and they bought the house that nobody wanted. And they're just like, oh, dear Jesus, these Christians. They're coming in here. And they didn't push religion on anybody. They just loved on us. And I didn't believe what they believed, but, man, I sure did like those people. Man, they loved on us. They loved on our kids. They hung out. Man, they were just great people. That's being salt. That's being light. And that's what Jesus calls you and I to do. I mean, it's like, you know, you're at your work and your boss is a Christian and you just really blew the big deal. And he calls you into, your, into his office and you're like, oh, here it goes. I'm going to be fired. And you sit down across the desk and your boss says, you know what? You really messed up this deal. We lost a lot of money because of you. And you're like, But your boss leans over and says, you know, but I'm a Christian. And I believe in giving people second chances. So let's go out there and let's do better next time. You walk out of the door and you go, what just happened? I thought I was going to get fired. And he's giving me a second chance. I don't know anything about this Christian thing. I don't know anything about this church thing. But I want some of that. I mean, who is that nice? Who, I mean, he's treating me better than my family treats me. Man, I got to share this. Uh, In between services, there's a lady in our church. She's the wife of one of our elders. Her name is Jennifer Davis. And Jennifer grew up, and uh, she grew up in a family that did not know Jesus. And a family that was fairly well off. And as she moved to Chicago, um, uh, she ended up really moving in, and, and, and this Christian couple uh, named the C's, she called them the, the C's, they, uh, they just loved on her and took her out and gave her pancakes. They had three children of their own, but they brought in Jennifer, and the dad and Jennifer would go out and he'd take her on a pancake breakfast, or you know, they gave them keys to their house and said, even if we're not here, you just come in if you ever need anything. They end up helping her with transportation, getting her a car. I mean, they just loved on her and loved on her and loved on her and loved on her until eventually Jennifer said, I don't know who these people are, but I want that. And Jennifer gave her heart to Christ. And see, that's what it means. That's what it means. It's more than just belief. It moves to action. Let me go back to the first century, okay? 
this is not in the Bible, but if you looked outside of just just history, not just Christian history, but when the Bible, the Bible was finished, completed, the last book written about 100 A.D., and what happens was you had these overpopulated centers, centers in cities, and people would have all of these children they couldn't take care of, so they would just take them down to the river to let the kids die. And the Christians would show up at the river and grab these children up and love on them and adopt them and raise them like their own. How many of y'all remember the movie Gladiator? Remember that movie? Marcus Aurelius? Right? You, you, let me tell you a little bit. Again, this is history. During the time of Marcus Aurelius, there was a, a plague that hit. A plague that a lot of people believe was smallpox. From 165 A.D. to 180 A.D. And what happened in these overpopulated cities, somebody would come down with this plague and they would take them to the pagan priest. These pagan doctors. And they are going, hey, what do we do? And the pagan priests were like, huh, no. A plague's getting ready to hit. They would go back to their home, and they would get their children, and they would say, we're leaving the city because the plague is getting ready to decimate everybody. Let me tell you this. This plague, of, it was called the, the Aurelius Plague. We, we think it was smallpox. Killed 2,000 people a day. Eventually, 5 million people are killed by this plague, and everybody left the cities. You know who stayed? It was the Christians. The Christians stayed and loved on people and cared for the sick and for the dying. It was the Christians who stayed. And many of the Christians got the plague and died themselves, but they weren't afraid of death. And nobody could understand them. Why would anybody want to stick around and care for people that weren't even their own family? Who does that? People who love. That's who. In fact, so many of these Christians stuck around that it got their immune system up, and some of them didn't get the, didn't get the plague, the smallpox. And Christianity was birthed because we said, we're not leaving the mess, we're running to the messes. In fact, this is what it says, Eusebius, Eusebius, he's a, a, a historian, he says this, Christian conquest of the Roman Empire came by, not by the sword, but by love. Here's what it says. All day long, the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial during this plague. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city. A multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. Yet, because of their compassion during the plague, how they loved others was on what? everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them, everybody say convinced, convinced them that they alone were pious and truly reverent to God. Do you know how your friends and neighbors are going to be convinced? Let me tell you how they're not going to be convinced. You're not going to church, are you? You're really going to do that, huh? I mean, they're not going to be convinced because you pass judgment on them. They're going to be convinced because you love. They're going to be convinced because you got involved in them. Because, and here's our big idea today. This is huge. Our big idea today is this. Salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. Salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. Always. You see, if you're a Christ follower in here today, 
how you became a Christ follower is because somebody was willing to be salt and light in your life. Some of you, I, I, if I could just ask you, if you're Christ followers, if you could just close your eyes and you could say, can you remember the faces of the people that were salt and light in your life? You could do that. You could say, it was this person, it was this person, and this person got involved in my life here, and yeah, they were a little irritating. Well, you know, salt sometimes is irritating, right? You ever flicked on a light in, in the middle of the darkness? It's a little irritating, right? Sometimes Christians can be a little irritating. But we're not here to condemn, we're here to show the way. We're not here to pass judgment on the outsiders. We're here to light their path to Jesus. Man, this is huge. What if, what if we could really get serious about this? And this church, this group of people here right now could say, you know what? I'm not just going to be content being a Christian. I am going to be salt. I'm going to be light. I mean, we have in three weeks, Easter's going to be here. Everybody, all your friends who aren't Christians and don't go to church, they're expecting you to ask them. I heard this from a guy by the name of Perry Noble, who's a, a, a church pastor in North Carolina, in South Carolina. He says this at New Spring. He says, you know what, 85% of people, if you just ask them to go to church, they will go. All you got to do is what? Y'all want to see that in slow motion? Some of you are like, no, I don't. All right? You just got to ask. You have to be salt. You have to be light. You have to, it has to move from belief to action. And I'm just asking you, what if you and I can imagine a community that was changed by love? We can imagine a community that was changed because we got involved with the people who had HIV, the people who had hepatitis C. If we got involved in those who were involved in sex trafficking and we loved on them. If we really got involved in people who did not have our own convictions or did not have our own values and we didn't look down at them, but we got out of them and we say, I love you. And I will be with you, and I will, be, I will walk with you in this mess. It's a process. Coming to Christ is a process. Some of you know that. Because it's taken you years. That's okay. I'm telling you, it's going to take us. It's going to take many other churches in this community to say, you know what? I'm not just content of being a Christ follower. I'm not just content of just being a Christian. I am going to live as a disciple. And the belief is going to get down to my hands and to my feet. And I am going to be salt. I'm going to be light because salt always preserves. And light always shows the way. Let me pray for you. <coughs> Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord. Lord, for the Christ followers in, who are in here, Lord, um, I need this. Because, Lord, it's easy just to be focused on our own stuff and to check off the boxes and say, okay, I went to church. I've done my deed. But, Lord, you want more than just church attendance. You want us to love the unlovable. You want us to get down into the dirt, into the mire, into the muck. 
and take our hands and put them on the faces of those who are just mired down by their mess. We can relate to them because we've all been there. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be a church. Lord, that you would allow us to continue to be a people, not to throw stones at outsiders. But the Lord, you would allow us to help lift up the faces of those who need to be lifted up. Lord, that you would allow us to be salt in our communities. You would allow us to be light into our neighborhoods. That you would, Lord, you would allow us to go on our job, and even though we're not supposed to talk about religious stuff, Lord, salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. Let us become what you've called us to do. We thank you, Jesus, in your precious name that we pray. Got a, a good friend, um, Josh Woodleaf, our worship pastor. He's here. He has announced we'd like to talk to you guys. I'd like to encourage you guys, um, the ladies and the men uh, who are taking the offering, if you could go ahead and come forward, and we'll take that offering now. So, thanks, Josh. Morning, guys. Y'all having a good morning? <coughs> All right. They're really excited down front over here. I don't know what's happening. Um, well, guys, I just wanted to talk to you for a, uh, for a few minutes um, just about some stuff that is going on um, in mine and my family's life. Um, you know, we have, uh, we've been here five and a half years now, me and my wife, Samantha, and uh, our baby Madison was born here. And we, uh, we love you guys, and we love Clarksville, and this has really become our home. Um, I just wanted to fill you guys in today. Um, God's really been doing some work in, in my life and in the life of my family, and uh, he's been really um, kind of um, shifting um, our focus and attention on some things, and I, I just want to let you guys know today that, um, that next Sunday is going to be my last day um, at one church. Um, sorry, <laughs> gasping, I'm sorry. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a really hard decision to make um, because, you know, I know for my family and I know for me it's, a, uh, it's the right decision. Um, I know that, that we're being called. Um, we're going to move back home. Um, we're from Nashville area, and we're going to be a part of uh, kind of replanting a church there. Um, and so it's, it's been a good five and a half years. You know, I told Chris the other day that I, I can't imagine leading um, worship in front of any other group of people. I just can't. Um, and it's, it's going to be difficult for me because uh, every bit of knowledge I have about pastoring and about loving people and about worship leading, most of it I've learned here. Um, and this is my home. Um, you guys are like family. And so um, I know that, uh, you know, the future is bright for one church. I know that. Um, I know that one church is called to be a light to North Clarksville, and you guys are going to continue to do that with or without me, because it's not about me. Um, One church and the mission of Jesus Christ and his kingdom is so much bigger than Josh Woodleaf. Um, I'm lucky that I've been a part of it, and I'm lucky to have led you guys for the past five and a half years. Um, You know, and just so you know, I'll go ahead and tell you, like, there's a lot of those stupid rumor things that go around, like, well, he's leaving the church because he's mad, and, you know, some old person probably ticked him off, or blah, blah, blah. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. I'm leaving based on me and my family what's best for us, Um, and God is calling us away. So I want you to know that I fully support one church. I fully support the staff here, and I'm excited about what God is going to do in you guys' future. 
Um, it pains me to step away. It hurts. Um, it hurts more than you guys know um, because you guys have been amazing for the past five and a half years, and I love you. Um, I love you more than, than I could even begin to put words to. Um, this is really hard. So I'll be around. If you guys want to talk, I'll be here next week to lead worship one more time, and I'll be around today kind of in the hallways. So I'd love to talk to you um, within the next couple of weeks. So I love you guys. And I, I want to say this. Um, Josh has been with us from the very beginning. And uh, I can't tell you, I, I have, there is no better worship leader I've ever, 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 ever experienced than this man. He is awesome. You know, we, we get a chance to go to conferences and go to literally stuff all over the United States and all of these people who are big wigs and they put out CDs and stuff. And this is the truth. Josh, I go to those conferences and Josh, you know, he did a CD for us and I will give them Josh's CD. I'm like, you ought to listen to this. You, and maybe you ought to try this sometime. He is awesome. And I just want to say this. If you've been affected by his ministry and his life and his heart, would you just stand up? I cannot imagine starting this church without this man. And when he came and told me on Thursday that God was calling him away, I cried. But I know this. I'm excited about his future. I know God is going to continue to use him, and he has in our life. And I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your wife and your little girl. Praise God looks like your wife. I'm telling you, I, I would just encourage you this week and next week, let this guy know that you love him and how much he's meant to you because he's made a huge impact on my life and this church's life. You guys are here with tattoos because he has tattoos. <laughs> him leaving, we're going to have a tattoo-less staff, so I may need to get a tattoo. No. <laughs> Oh, let's just stand and let's pray for this guy. Man, I tell you what, I'm so thankful for him. And I'm just going to say this before we pray. We're going to keep on worshiping here. We, Clarksville still needs work. We still need work. So uh, we're going to have a good time singing. We don't know who it is and how it's going to happen, but we're going to do it. So God is good. So good. So, Dear God, I just thank you so much for Josh, Lord. I just thank you so much, Lord, for his heart and his life. I thank you so much for the talent you've given this guy. But, Lord, more importantly, I thank you so much for his heart. Lord, uh, his heart for those who are far from you, people who don't look like the church crowd. Lord, when they, when they see Josh, when they talk to Josh, when they see his heart, Lord, they see the heart of you, God. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would just help them during this transition. Lord, that you would help them and, Lord, I, they're going to be going back to family and getting closer to parents and grandparents. God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for allowing them to do that, God. But, Lord, the void that's in our heart and life, well, I just pray, Lord, that you would just help us. And, Lord, and just continue to just bless him 
Lord, continue to let him sing and shout for joy and sing new songs, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done in his life. And I thank you so much, Lord, for how my life has been affected by Joshua Leaf. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.